Acts chapter 6 in your Bible. Acts chapter 6. Excited to be back in this book of the Bible. Making our way through some of the most exciting days in the history of the church. Right at its beginning. Empowered by the Spirit. Certainly opposed by Satan. uh, But victorious with the gospel. Unbelievable. Acts chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 8 through 15. I want to go ahead and read those at large. They won't be on the screen, so find that in your device or in your Bible this morning. And follow along with me as I read verses 8 through 15. And Stephen, this is the character of our story today. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing or arguing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men. That means they secretly instigated this group of men to stand up and make accusations. Verse 11, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. I had the amazing privilege, as some of you did, to grow up in the 90s. How many grew up in the 90s? You're a 90s kid? You're my people. There are some pretty cool things that came out in the 90s, right? Some of the most iconic TV shows, like Seinfeld and Friends and Saved by the Bell. And Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And Dawson's Creek. (laughs) Pastor Sid's favorite, Power Rangers. (laughs) Pastor Tanner's favorite, Baywatch. (laughs) I didn't know what pastoral staff member I was going to label that one with. And it just, just, spirit gave it to me. (laughs) Can't sit in front row, man. Some great movies came out, like Space Jam. It's amazing. Lion King, Toy Story, Titanic, Wayne's World, (laughs) Terminator, Jurassic Park, my personal favorite, Dumb and Dumber. My wife's favorite, Never Been Kissed. (laughs) It's true. Music groups like the Spice Girls. You remember them? They were crazy. Destiny's Child, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, New Kids on the Block. Come on, now these are the CDs I burned every year after church camp. Some popular products like VHS tapes, Nokia cell phones, Game Boys, Reebok pumps, Beanie Babies. Tamagotchis? That was an electronic pet. You guys would be fascinated by that today. Polly Pockets. 
Perhaps one of the most iconic figures of the 90s was the goat of basketball himself, Michael Jordan. One of the most famous commercial jingles of the 90s revolved around MJ. The jingle said this, like Mike, if I could be like Mike. That that jingle resonated with every kid in the 90s who was a basketball fan because about every 90s kid who liked basketball idolized Michael Jordan. I had over 200 Michael Jordan trading cards. I had Michael Jordan posters hanging in my room, didn't I? At night, my brother and I, we'd put a wristband on just like Michael Jordan wore and We'd wear our Jordan jersey and we would, we would practice flying through the air with our tongues hanging out as we dunked our Nerf basketball. I was definitely one of the kids that pursued Mike likeness. The truth is that everybody here had somebody they wanted to be like growing up. Many young kids wanted, wanted to be like their moms and dads. I heard about a pastor who walked into the the, bath, the bathroom, his, his little daughter was taking a, uh, a bath and, and he saw her baptizing her toy Cinderella in the bathtub by immersion. Of course, she was clearly imitating her Baptist father. Regardless of, of who your model was as a child, every adult Christian should imitate or seek to imitate the same model. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Our jingle should be like Christ. I want to be like Christ. That was the Apostle Paul's goal. Look at these verses, Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I'd already attained or arrived, Either we're already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This was the Apostle Paul's anthem. This was his goal to grow, to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ought to be our goal as well. Up to this point in the book of Acts, the apostle Peter has been the most dominating figure. He's been fulfilling his calling by taking the gospel to the Jewish people. Another major uh, figure, a very important uh, stature, you should say, I guess, looms on the horizon We're going to discuss him next week at the conclusion of our sermon because he shows up at the end of chapter 7. His name's the Apostle Paul. But bridging the gap between these two giants of the faith is a man by the name of Stephen. He was a man who is as much like Jesus, I'm convinced, as any other person in Scripture up to this point. Just like the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. He was like Jesus in his life. He was like Jesus in his ministry. And we're going to see next week, he was even like Jesus in his death. In chapter 6, verse 5, we're told that Stephen is one of the seven men chosen by the church of Jerusalem to be a deacon of sorts, to to look after a certain group of widows in the church. The verse tells us that he was a man that had a good reputation. He was a man that was full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom. Those earlier verses in chapter 6 tells us that he was viewed by his church as responsible and trustworthy. In our text, verses 8 through 15, I've studied that Stephen points us to Christ likeness in three different ways. And my goal as we're studying the life and character of Stephen today is for all of us to wrestle with this question. 
Do I really want to be like Jesus? Do I really want to be like Jesus? How about last week? Last week, did you really want to be like Jesus? How about this week? Do do you really want to be like Jesus? Then let's see what that might look like. Look at verse 8 again. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Here's the first way Stephen's life points us to Christ. We should be empowered like Christ. To be like Jesus, hear me please, doesn't simply mean gathering facts about Jesus' life and then copying them like children that idolize their favorite basketball player tries to do. We, We can't try to be like Jesus in our own power or imagine that we can somehow earn his salvation by copying his words or behaviors. Rather, as Christians, we have to realize that that we can pursue likeness to Jesus today because we've been united to Jesus. That through our union with Christ, we can live out Christ-like lives. That verse I read in Galatians 2 is on purpose. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. See, through Jesus, we're able to bear the fruit of righteousness. This is what... Stephen learned he wasn't sinless he was just like all of us he was in need of a savior but once he accepted Jesus he was empowered to live a life that reflected Jesus how well verse 8 tells us the source of his ministry in life was faith and the power of God in fact it uses this phrase he was full of faith and the power of God I mean, that phrase full of it, it's very simple to explain. It just means you're filled up with something. You're richly abundant, thoroughly endowed, completely permeated with something. We might look at somebody and say, man, they are full of love. We'd be saying that they're characterized and controlled by an attitude of love. And the opposite is true as well. We might look at another person and say, man, they're full of hatred. We'd be saying that hatred is, is what governs and controls their life. For Stephen, it was said that he was a man full of faith and the power of God. Meaning the Spirit of God was poured out on this man in the most remarkable way. It was evident to people that he was controlled and ruled by the power of God. In this way, Stephen was like Christ. Because Luke tells us about it in Luke chapter 4 verse 1. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost... Returned from Jordan. He was, he was permeated with the Holy Ghost. He was, he was completely covered by the Holy Ghost. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke 4.14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Stephen was like Christ and that he was empowered by Christ. Can I ask you today, when is the last time you prayed this prayer? God, fill me with your faith and power. God, fill me with your faith and power. That's an important prayer to pray because whatever fills you, controls you. If you're filled with jealousy, the success of other people will infuriate you. If you're filled with lust, your sexual appetites will lead you into selfish behavior. If you're filled with anger, you'll quarrel and even murder people with your thoughts. But if you're filled with God's power, you'll live a life like Stephen demonstrated, an others-oriented, God-exalting life. 
Listen, trying to live like Christ and for Christ without the power of Christ is an impossible and exhausting task. I remember in college, I was, I was uh, on a tour group, a, a men's quartet, and we traveled and represented our college to the West Coast and East Coast. I did it for three years, and it paid for my school. We was able to recruit kids to come to that particular college. And we were flying out to the West Coast, and we connected in Denver. And for the first time in my life, as an 18, 19-year-old boy, I had never seen those walking sidewalks. Thank God Denver Airport has the walking sidewalks because that is a big airport. And when you fly from Liberal to Denver, you're like in the back. And you got to walk 38 miles to get to your next gate. So praise the Lord for walking sidewalks. Well, half the quartet decided to use the walking sidewalks. And the other half of us decided we're too good for walking sidewalks. That we can walk just fine as 19-year-old young men without the help of a moving sidewalk. And so they get on the moving sidewalk and then we get beside it and we're walking and all of a sudden they're getting in front of us. And you guys know I'm competitive. I said, I'm healthy. I'm going to, I don't need that, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep the same pace they do. And I'm like speed walking, man, just like this. I'm a good speed walker because I got good hips. But when you're walking that sidewalk, they got done with it. And we still, we caught up with them and we finished at the same time. Guess who is exhausted? The idiots who thought that they didn't need the sidewalk. And what did we do next? We got on the sidewalk next. In the same way, we're just as foolish trying to haul the baggage of our lives around without being filled with the power of God. The Spirit of God in some ways is like our walking sidewalk through life. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3, Are ye so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? When coming to Christ by faith and repentance, you were given a free installment of the Holy Spirit to be your walking sidewalk in life. And Paul said, why aren't you using it? That's foolish. You're trying to be like Christ without the power of Christ. That's impossible, Christian. This is why Christians come to church exhausted and even frustrated because they try their best Monday through Saturday to live what was preached last Sunday. But that's just it. They try their best. They're missing the the source of their power, the source of Stephen's power. That's being filled with the faith and power of the Holy Spirit in your life every day. How do we get that? Pray. Ask for it and then yield to the Spirit throughout the day. Walk with the Spirit throughout the day. Don't be so foolish as to begin your Christian life with the Spirit and then somehow leave Him behind. If you want to be like Christ, you've got to be empowered by Christ. Notice the second aspect of Christ's likeness. We must speak with wisdom like Christ. Verse 9 and 10 give us this. Look at it. Then there arose certain of the synagogues, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines. And this gives us an idea who would have gathered at the synagogue, the Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them the Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with, with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So at this time, synagogue worship would have been where the Jews congregated to hear the scriptures read and then expounded. 
the scripts that we just read said that this particular synagogue that Stephen found himself in was a synagogue of the Libertines. That seems to have been attended primarily by Greek speaking Jews, just like Stephen. We know Stephen was a Greek speaking Jew based on the first part of chapter six, because the, the conflict in the church that they needed kind of these deacon guys to, to oversee was, was among the Greek speaking Jews. And so they picked Greek speaking Jews to minister to the Greek speaking widows. And that's, that's the synagogue where, where, where Stephen found himself. We, we also know that it was, it was in Cilicia. That's the apostle Paul's region. This is interesting. The Apostle Paul was there listening to Stephen. But at this time in the Apostle Paul's life, he wasn't a Christian. He hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. He hated the gospel that Stephen was preaching. And so he and other well-studied Jews in the synagogue began to argue with Stephen. But I love this. Verse 10 says that they got their tails handed to him. They couldn't hang with Stephen. They could not resist his wisdom. No matter what argument they threw his way, he was able to articulate the word of God in such a way that they had no answer. Now, you need to understand something. This is like Christ. How many times was Jesus pushed in a corner by these religious leaders trying to stump him? And he would speak back and they wouldn't have a word to say. Luke chapter 20. Then certain of the scribes answering said, Master, thou hast well said. And after that, they durst not ask him any questions at all. Just like Christ, Stephen had a spirit of wisdom about him that even the most well-studied Jews couldn't argue against. My question is this, church, what gave Stephen that kind of confidence? How could he stand up against a group like this of religious bullies? He didn't attend a Bible college. He didn't have a seminary degree. He didn't even have a gospel tract to memorize. I believe Stephen could be filled with this confidence for this reason. He believed a particular promise made by Jesus. Where at? Luke 21, 12 through 15. This is spooky how accurate this is. Jesus said this, but before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues. That's where Stephen was. And into prison. Bring bo- bring, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. He got brought before kings and rulers. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. He got asked. Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. Why? Because I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Jesus told the truth before it ever happened. This is exactly what was happening in Stephen's life. He's given an opportunity to share an unprepared message loaded with unanswerable wisdom, just like Jesus Christ. And Stephen isn't the only one to whom this biblical text applies. We too, listen to me, every one of us can speak up for Christ with confidence. Knowing that God will be with us when we stand for the gospel. Knowing that God will give us the boldness and wisdom that we need to say what needs to be said. To whom it needs to be said. Where and when it needs to be said. Let me be clear. We shouldn't use this text as an excuse to not study God's word. I talked to another pastor recently and uh, he was asking me how I prepare for my sermons. It's not a pastor of the same denomination. It's just another pastor in the community. And I told him how much time I put into study for each sermon and kind of my process. And I said, what do you do? 
And he says, you know what, I just, I just look at where I'm going to preach on Sunday and read it a couple times, and then I just go to the pulpit. I, he, I said, you don't take notes? You don't write down an outline? You, nope, I just, I just get in the pulpit and I just tell the church what the Spirit tells me as it's telling me. The problem with that is that Paul instructed Timothy, the young preacher, preach the Word. The Word. Not... not not the mystical words that come into your mind and heart. There's a lot of things that are going on in my mind that I want to say right now. But you're glad, you better be glad I don't say what just comes to mind. Okay, listen. When, when Jesus says, don't meditate on what you're going to say, I'm going to give you what to say. He's not, he's not relinquishing us from the responsibility of studying what he's already told us in his word. You understand that? Stephen didn't even have the full canon of scripture like we have. He, he needed to rely on extemporaneous wisdom from the Spirit of God. We don't have to. We have the full Bible. Jesus, I give you wisdom right now. Now, here's what happens as we're in situations. We get in gospel conversations or maybe we have to stand up for the truth in some way in, 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 at a time in which we're not expected. So, so when we get a share of the gospel with a family member or a coworker, or we get a, we get a mention God when we, didn't, we aren't expected to be able to mention God or we get to pray. When we were expected to be asked to pray. In those moments, you need wisdom. You hear me? In those moments, you need wisdom. Where are you going to recall what you need to say during crunch time? You're going to recall it from the Word of God. From your personal study in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, you can rely on the Holy Spirit to remind you of what God has already taught you in His Word. I mean, Pastor David, I'm sure experiences this. He counsels a lot for our church. He also leads a lot of folks through the gospel. Everybody has a different kind of story. Everybody takes a little bit different approach from the pastoral staff or, or whoever trying to lead them to Christ. You gotta, everybody kind of takes a different route. Not, not, not that you do different things to get to Jesus, but, but we got to talk to every single person a little bit different based on where they're at. Well, David doesn't have a script every single time prepared for every single person. But he's told me many times that in the midst of those appointments, the Holy Spirit will remind him of things that he has read in the Bible or things that he's experienced in life that agree with the Bible. And the Holy Spirit will help him recall those things on the spot. And you might walk out and say, dude, man, he's really smart. No, not necessarily. The Holy Spirit's really good. The Holy Spirit's really faithful and he is kind of smart. But the Holy Spirit is wise and makes us wise. Do you get what I'm saying? We can be like Christ, not in that we want to win arguments. Not in that we want to leave people speechless. That's pride. We can be like Christ in that we are ready to answer and give an answer with the help of the Holy Spirit. No matter what situation we're in. As we read and study the Bible Monday through Saturday. And then life intersects, conversations intersect with what you study. The Holy Spirit is going to help you to recall what you know about the Bible. Hear me, if you don't read your Bible, don't expect the Holy Spirit to bail you out. Hear me? If I don't study God's word Monday through Saturday, I can't jump in the pulpit and hope to preach a great sermon. I don't put God on the hook for laziness. You apply yourself to understand the full canon of scripture and you watch as the Holy Spirit does what you cannot. It's amazing. Can I give you one more? Be like Christ. That You want to be empowered by Christ. Speak with wisdom like Christ. 
And thirdly, you want to endure trials like Christ. Verse 11 through 15 talk about how they suborned these men. They, they got these men together that would place these false charges on Stephen for blasphemy. See, the religious bullies here at the synagogue decided to use, if you can't beat them, bruise them philosophy. You know what I'm talking about? They can't stand up to, to, to Stephen's wisdom, so they, they invent lies about him and haul him before some kangaroo court. Author John Stott said, when arguments fail, mud has often seemed an excellent substitute. Did you catch that? When arguments fail, mud has often seemed an excellent substitute. And that's what the losers of this debate resorted to, throwing mud at Stephen. Actually, it was going to turn into stones, but verbal mud. They instigated accusations against Stephen. Uh, Five areas that they accused him of blasphemy. Against Moses, against God, against the temple, against the law, and then against the customs or traditions that they kept. Here's the thing. None of this is true. Stephen simply taught that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. The fulfillment of the temple. That Jesus is the substance and those things were shadows. We're going to study that next week. We're going to study the sermon, his answer to the Sanhedrin. In this way, he's a lot like Christ. He endured his trial like Christ because Matthew speaks in chapter 12, verse 6, where Jesus said the same thing. But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Stephen is saying the same things that Christ said when he was put on trial. And now he's enduring the same type of trial as a result. Verse 15 transitions to the next scene. Did you notice that when I read it? Stephen is being unjustly treated, and now his face is like the face of an angel. What's this all about? It's radiant. Well, we don't know exactly what it means. Luke doesn't give us a lot of detail there. But it could be that, that his changed countenance reflected the fact that God was standing right there on the side of Stephen. It could also indicate Stephen's intimacy with God and then his faithful representation of Moses. What are one of the things that the leaders accused him of? Demeaning Moses. Yet Stephen is reflecting the likeness of Moses. You remember back in Exodus, Moses had to cover his own face with a veil because it shone so brightly after he spent time in the presence of God. We don't know exactly why. Those are some possibilities. Either way, Stephen is enduring his trial with grace. He's enduring his trial with courage. He's enduring his trial with truth and boldness, just like Jesus endured his. This passage is a great reminder, church, that we must tell everyone what Stephen told this crowd and what put him on trial and what ultimately got him killed. We must tell the world that if they want to meet God, they don't need to go to a temple or a building. They need to go to a person. And that person is Jesus. Come on, don't fade on me, congregation. If someone wants forgiveness... He or she doesn't need to practice self-atonement or offer God a sacrifice of bulls and goats. In our case today, they don't need to offer God baptism or communion or prayer or benevolence. Our message to the world is that all must get to God through his son, Jesus Christ, trusting in his work on the cross for their salvation, not their own. As we tell that good news that Christ is the Savior of sinners and stand on this truth, we must be prepared to face opposition. 
Must be ready to endure some type of trial, maybe being excluded or mocked or misrepresented or shamed or passed over or even killed for believing it. It's always been this way and will always be this way until the King of King returns. So do not give in the temptation to try to make Christianity cool. Did you hear me? Even if it puts you on trial, do not censor the truth about Jesus and the gospel because you want to stay faced with the people that might be hostile toward it. I'm not telling you to go and be antagonistic with the gospel. Jesus was never antagonistic. Stephen wasn't antagonistic. Peter wasn't antagonistic. But listen, all of these men told the truth. They were careful. They were kind. But they were not apologetic about the fact that there is one way to the Father. And that is through Jesus Christ. And they even went so far as to say, the Jesus that you killed. And our message is this, that that it was your sin. This is the message of the gospel. This is part of the gospel. Your sin put Jesus on the cross. And everybody just wants to jump to love. Everybody just wants to make Christianity nice and fluffy. And I I love the love part of the gospel. It's amazing. We sang about it this morning. But he wouldn't have had to go to a cross and die on that mercy tree if it wasn't for the fact that we were rotten, wicked sinners. Nobody can know they need a savior until they realize they're a sinner. And we cannot censor the sin part of the gospel. We cannot try to have this snuggy philosophy. You remember the snuggies? They were so ridiculous. They were, they, they were that full body onesie. That adult men crawled into before they got on their man chair? Snuggy? Jesus did not have a snuggy gospel. He did not. Go read John chapter 6. Where Jesus said, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And people that thought he was really cool up to that point, in the thousands left after that message. And now today, in many churches... We want to censor the gospel as much as possible because we're scared that people will get offended and scared that people will be be mad. And I'm not talking about being insensitive. I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about being bigoted. I'm not talking about being hateful. I'm talking about being true to the word of God. When you're talking to your coworker, don't try to make it cool. When you're talking to your family members, don't try to make it cool so they'll say yes and pray the prayer you want them to pray. Stand on the truth of the word of God. You were created in the image of God. You broke the law of God. You're helpless without God. But thank God he sent his son to die in your place. Trust him and repent of your sin. That's our gospel. That's our message. And when you preach that message, no doubt you will be almost intentionally misunderstood. And when you are, know this, that as God was with Stephen, He will be with you. Your face might not look like an angel. You might not have this radiance about you, but you will have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and helping you know what to say next or what not to say next. And even if you leave and it fragments the relationship, you will be able to put your head on a pillow at night and know God was pleased with you telling the truth.
God help us. If you want to be like Christ, be empowered by Christ. I wonder if the Christian life feels exhausting to you lately. If it does, it could be because you stopped praying that prayer. Holy Spirit, fill me today. Give me your power. Give me faith where I don't have any. And so you are walking through the Christian life. And you think you can do it without the walking sidewalk. You might get there, but you're going to be frustrated after you're done. And that's no way to live the Christian life. If you're going to be like Christ, speak with wisdom like Christ. That starts by getting in the word. We have equipped you for that. Bible reading plan right here. They're at the resource center back there. Pick a column. Pick all four. Pick two. Pick three. Get in God's word. And every time you're in God's word, write something down. Put it in your heart and say, Holy Spirit, if I need this today, remind me. And watch as you fill that wisdom tank with the word. Watch how quickly you'll be able to recall what to say, where to say it, and when to say it. And you're like, wow. The Holy Spirit has an amazing way of helping you remember God's word. And if you want to be like Christ, endure a trial like Christ. Many of you might be going through some type of trial as a result of giving the gospel with courage. Maybe some of you are going through a trial simply because you repented of your sin and turned to the Savior. And some friends and family members don't like that. Endure with grace. Just like Stephen did. Just like Jesus did. And know God is with you every step of the way. Songwriter said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Maybe you just need to be reminded. I'm going to keep on following Jesus. Even when it's hard. No turning back. No turning back. Would you stand to your feet? All the congregation standing.